and welcome to another edition of Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, the long-range cruising authority. I'm your host, Jeff Moser. I don't exactly know how to categorize Sam Devlin and Devlin Boat Company, and I'm glad I don't have to, as he designs and builds vessels that can only come from his fertile mind. We first met at our Trawler Fest event. We sat in the lee of a cold Pacific Northwest wind, pulled a few stools in the sun, and chatted about music, marine life, living on the Puget Sound, traveling to Mexico, coffee, cars, cooking. Sure, we did cover his current designs, but also what he was tinkering with in his Olympia Washington boat building studio. But our conversation really helped me understand and refine Sam's artistic approach to his craft. As a colleague put it, Sam is a thinker about boats. Devlin's been writing our design column for a couple of years and has submitted a range of models, from reincarnated mini tugboats to Great Loop Ready cruisers to vessels more than capable of venturing well off the beaten path. All of his builds started specific and custom designs for a client, and he also offers his several models as DIY kits. Sam calls himself a designing boat builder and builds his boats from plywood, epoxy, and fiberglass in a construction method known as the stitch and glue method. When I caught up with Sam, he was in the throes of a final read of the revised edition of Devlin Boat Building, which will be out soon. We talked about the early days, where he grew up, how he got on the boat building, the revised edition of his new book, and how cruising on boats inspires his current and future designs. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. So Sam, let's let's start from the beginning. Um, let's talk about your early days. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Eugene, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Okay, now how did you get started on boats and boating? Well, um, that's a little, it, it, convoluted but when i was a little boy Mm -hmm. um probably probably about three years old to about six or seven years old my dad actually had a boat shop in eugene oregon which isn't your normal typical place to have a boat shop but my dad at a couple various times in his life has been an inventor the rest of the time he's been a contractor and and builds things but but one of his inventions that he was working on at that time was the first jet marine engine. And he had this little boat shop and then a, a little company called South Hilliard Paint and Marine. So that kind of helped supplement the, the money necessary to keep the boat shop. So they did a little bit of boat building, a little bit of repair, a little bit of painting, sold some paint and supplies. And, mm-hmm. and then we're in, inventing this jet marine engine. And behind the building where my dad's shop was, was a company called Sweetland Archery, which made compressed Port Orford Cedar arrow shafts, which at the time, in archery's sake, um, is before fiberglass and carbon and aluminum. Mm-hmm. And compressed Port Orford Cedar arrow shafts were the most stable arrow shafts that was going. And... If you've ever smelled Port Orford Cedar, it's a very, very characteristic, sweet, really neat wooden smell. Mm-hmm. And there was this pervasive olfactory smell about my dad's boat shop. It, it had wood in there on its own, but but you know, with this company behind and this and this pervasive smell of the Port Orford Cedar in the air, it and I for some reason it just implanted in my head this image. And 
to this day, I still use quarter cedar on my boats quite often. And, and whenever I cut into a plank, I, it takes me back to my dad's little boat shop. Um, but the, so that's the good news. The bad news was my dad went bankrupt doing this. Yeah. It, but about the time that he was getting this, this jet engine really dialed in and, and refined, he just simply ran out of gas, ran out of money and, and, and had to do a bankruptcy. His partner went off with the molds and, you know, it was a tragic scene, but I was a little boy and I, even though there must've been a lot of tension in the air and, and issues, I didn't, I didn't retain that. I retained the smell, the feel, the, the essence of, of this idea of, of, of a boat shop and, 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 and working with wood. And so that, at, that kind of just stuck with me. I could never shake loose of it entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that was formative about my life was um, we, my folks were very religious and when we went to services three days a week we went Sunday morning Sunday evening and, and Wednesday evening okay and on the back of the pew there were these little index cards that on the and it's a little sharpened pencil and there was this um, the, I guess ostensibly you could fill out the front and maybe the minister would visit you or something I don't, I don't ever recall what that said but the back was blank and I would draw and I drew boats and I had a lot of practice drawing boats. And so, so I, it just started patterns that kind of carried on um, in, in my life. So when I, when I was in college and in school, mm-hmm. I, put myself through school i used to work on tugboats in alaska i would okay. go up to alaska and work the summers sometimes even even into the winter did you go to school um, in the pacific northwest sam or yeah i'm a, a university of oregon graduate okay and, got uh, it. so uh, i'm a doc go and, ducks uh, yeah yeah even though we lost last week um but uh so and so my i in, when I was going to school, my big love and interest there was studying, doing wildlife research. And I very much enjoyed that. Um, but the boat thing just kept coming up. It, I never could completely flush it out of my head. And, mm-hmm. and with my experience in Alaska, um, and, it, you know, that kept me on the water. And so I worked for a company named Boyer Halverson. Um, mm-hmm. They were they were based in Seattle and Ketchikan, Alaska, and I mostly worked on the boats that went across the Gulf of Alaska that went out into the Aleutians and and up a little further north and mm-hmm. stuff. So um, that you know that that and then that introduced to me my time on the tugs. Um, there was, I was off watch one day and I was sitting in the galley, I was drinking coffee and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I was reading a magazine that one of the crew members had brought on board and it was issue number one, a wooden boat magazine. Mm-hmm. And I, I really distinctly remember reading this magazine and kind of looking up the overhead and it had tongue and groove paneling up there and the smell of the 
of the diesel range was strong and the coffee was strong. And, and But I remember thinking to myself, that would be a really interesting thing to do with your life. And again, it, it just kind of played into this, this memory of when I was a little boy and my dad's boat shop and it, yeah, everything kind of, kind of worked towards these images that I could never completely shake out of my system. And so after, after college, I had a short stint of building um, some log homes in central Oregon that wasn't a very successful business. And so I immediately started building boats and then very rapidly could never, I, I could never catch up. So, and I've been behind perpetually since. Oh man. So uh, that's, I guess, when you founded Devlin Design, you want to just go into the details of that for a minute? Yeah, it's, I have to say that my initial reaction to building, especially building wooden boats, um, there were two things. And one was I really had no interest in going and apprenticing with someone and going kind of a conventional learning method. I, I think like my dad, I had this kind of penchant towards invention and trying to figure out things on my own. And so we, so I came up with this idea of, of what I thought was unique at the time, and that was that we could weld together high-grade marine plywood and, and make a boat, which was became stitch and glue boat construction. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't very long into it when I, met, when I made the discovery that, oh, my God, this has been used by some – there were some designers and some people in, in England that had done some work with it, and there was some in, you know, down in Australia and New Zealand, um, mostly in small boats. The Mirror Dinghy is a, basically a stitch and glue boat. Okay. And uh, the – but I, in my case, I always saw the utility and I didn't, I didn't, I never saw that there was any kind of size restrictions to it. I, I knew that there was scalability to it very, very early on. And I also knew that it was a, a very approachable as a young business where we just didn't have the experience and we didn't have the infrastructure to be overly sophisticated we had to kind of creep our way into it and build our skills and build our experiences and 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 be able to eventually refine things to a to a higher level mm-hmm. um and so that that kind of played to the early days of the business but the other thing i have to say is i never thought that you could make a living doing this uh, i just didn't think that it would be possible i i felt early on that it would be more of a um more of a hobby kind of thing and that i needed to have some other kind of income that uh, uh that would be um steady but didn't that i didn't have to work at full time and that introduced the idea of going back to either tugging or because I had offshore experience going into commercial fishing. Mm-hmm. So I, I dabbled in that just a tiny little bit, just, just a few, uh, just a short little time. 
And one of the deckhands on, on a fishing boat, a crab boat that I was working on, commissioned me to come home and build him a little 20-foot sailboat, um, gave me a deposit check, and I jumped back on the plane. I was in Kodiak at the time, came, came back home and started working on that boat. And literally, really, truly, I've never... I've never caught up since, and I'm always just a little bit behind. One thing, one project led into another, and you know, it. it, it I, I honestly never had a chance to think about it again as a as a process, or think about it again as a on whether or not you could make a living doing it. I I managed to do that and continued managing to do that, and so uh, stuck with it. And it's been 44 years now, so. Yeah, it sounds like you never even had a chance to think about it because you got that first commission and just started flying along, huh? Yep. One project, you know, kind of went to another. And um, it, it and, as, and as I said, it allowed us to build up our experiences, um, our, you know, the methodologies, the, you know, how technical everything did eventually become. It, we, we could creep our way into it and... Uh, and and we always offered uh, what we felt was, and it was a stated goal of the company, was that we always offered a better and better product each each time. We're not trying to obsolete anything, but always trying to improve. You're just learning as you go to that, you know, and perfecting the stitch and glue method, which uh, can you describe it a little yeah. more detail and just tell me about, you know, how you've improved on it and why you still use it to this day? Well, so, uh, number one, let's let's talk about what it what it is. Yeah. And what it is is we're trying to, and we have to we have to assume a couple of things. And and one of the assumptions is that we're not resistant to the idea of using wood in in the construction of a boat. Good, got it. So, the wood that we use is a really high grade marine plywood, which which you you know as a boat builder you always have a choice of building with dimensional wood or you can use plywood um or uh, ostensibly you could use um thin veneers and make make up your own compounded plywood but um but in our case we're using sheet marine plywood and we're we're basically welding that structure together and what the agenda is, is we're trying to reduce the number of parts in the boat. So in a, it, let's say if this was a traditional wooden boat and it's a 30-foot boat, there might be 10,000 pieces of wood that have to be cut, trimmed, fitted, and assembled together. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in a stitch and glue boat, maybe we can reduce the number of parts down to, there might be 150 Got it. parts. Um, and they're they're a little larger. They're a little easier to handle. Um, you know, we're, you don't have to fit so many things together. But the main idea and the main agenda behind this is that we're going to make a monocoque type structure. Mm-hmm. And that what that means is that every part that goes into that boat contributes both to the shape of the boat. And the definition of architectural space in in that boat, mm-hmm. you know, so so say a you know a berth top or a galley top or something, but it also contributes to the structure because 
each part is so firmly affixed to the other part that they all become structural. Mm-hmm. And what that translates to is that you end up with a very rigid structure. It's, a, it's like a big complex box girder. Um, and, and all of those parts contributing to the structure means it's very rigid. It's relatively lightweight. And if we're, if we're very careful and, and we maintain the integrity of construction very well, everything's epoxy sealed and stabilized where moisture can't get to it. Wood's a really wonderful engineering medium as long as it's kept dry. Okay. If it gets, if it gets wet, you can get into some issues with it, with, with delamination or rot or some other issues. But if you keep it dry, it's really strong. And it can stand more stress cycles than almost any other engineering medium. So it, if it's intelligently used or, or with, put together with high degree of integrity, which does take labor and skilled labor, um, it, you, you can end up with a really interesting structure. In it. But yet it's basically pretty simple. Um, so, so to dive a little tiny bit deeper into that, sure. Um, you know, we we uh, I one of my boats is a little, and we built several of them. A little forty-five foot sandsail stern uh, power cruiser called the Sockeye Forty-Five. Mm-hmm. Well, the galley down it, it's got a down below galley in it, and the galley the the countertop on the galley is fused to the side of the boat. It's not just screwed in. It's not just laid on there. It's not laminated on there. It's, it's, it's fused to the rest of the structure. And I've had countless people as I've taken that boat to the boat shows where they'll go down and they'll look at that galley or at that head. And, and at the, at the, uh, they'll look at the counter in, in that head. And the, uh, and, and what they, the comment is, well, this would be so easy to clean because there's no, there's no space for water to get into. There's no space where um, it'd be hard to clean behind it or where there's a crack in the, in the joint of mm-hmm. the difference between the countertop and the cabin side. And that's, you know, that's, that's the type of things that, that we can do quite easily with this, with this method. But the other point about this ditch and glue that I want to try to stress is that it's very, very, very controllable from the capability of, of, because each boat is built as its own entity. There's no complicated molds, no complicated um, uh, uh, building setup jigs or anything like that that you need. All of the parts that we use to assemble that boat are Stay in the structure. Got it. And that's really nice from a small yard point of view because you don't have to have a big storage lot for all these fiberglass molds that are out there that that you build your boats with. Each boat's built as a standalone boat. All the parts that we purchase and we set up to do in that boat stay in that boat. And, And then it also allows us to refine these shapes more and more because we do all of our in-house designing here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we, we can continually change these designs or evolve them over a period of time. Yeah, that's a so good, it, that's it a good point. It really Sam. works well for a small yard like, like we have. Um, and it allows us to operate to some appearances. We look like we're a much larger, much more sophisticated business, but we really, really don't have to be. It, everything is kept pretty simple. Keep it simple, but let's keep, let's let them think that you're a big production yard, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't, I never tried to yeah. implant that, that point of view, but yet over 44 years, we've built really an amazing variety of boats. Sure have. And a look, and, at, a look at the website certainly tells you that, but, uh, you know, I guess we, what I want to talk about next and, uh, sorry to cut you off there, but I'll let you make that point. No, um, you have a design process with, you know, clients come in and give you an idea and then you either maybe try to match a design that you have to what they're thinking or you come up with the design. Can you talk about the process? Because you also offer kits that the designers can, you know, I'm sorry, that the clients could build themselves or you guys will, you know, build it in-house. So how does that generally work? Well, the, the kit thing, let me address that first of all. Sure. Um, so, so we've kind of been, we've been, we've always been designers. Okay. And we've been custom boat builders. But what has occurred to us, and, and we want to stay open to this idea, is that some of our customer base, they, they want a project. And sometimes they, they, or they, or they w don't want to afford having that boat built for them. And, we, and so in that case, they'd be interested in a, in a kit. And so we, we've, been, we've always embraced the proliferation of the knowledge of stitch and glue. I've, I, I've always tried to be very open and try to share that. And, and so that, that kind of brings in the, the people that, that want a project and that part of the, of the destination that they're going for is the journey itself. Huh. that process, yeah. you know, that, that, the, those, those interim steps that you make. So, so I always try to think about it this way. And I very often ask the customers, the, this question is, you know, are you more about the destination or are you more about the journey? The destination, say you want to do the great circle loop. Well, that's the destination. If you're interested in the whole journey, then you might be interested in, 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 in the concept of, of dreaming up this perfect boat that might work for you, having have either having it designed and built, or maybe you have it designed and you build it, and then doing the journey. That's much more of a complex, um, uh, you know, venture than than just going and buying an off-shelf boat and then immediately starting your your great circle loop got it um and it, and it's not to not to take anything against that that's that's great if that's what you're after but a lot of my customer base is much more fascinated and much more interested in the in the whole journey both both the process that leads up to it and then and then the final expression of, of that dream sure i mean that's why they probably come to you sam i would think right yeah so so that's that's the that's 
what kind of why we got into the kit kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 then the other limiting factor is that I never had the idea nor the dream of having a factory with two or three hundred people running around producing the same boats. I that never held much fascination to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I'm not a good manager to be honest. Of, large groups of people I, I might manage a few but not large groups and i knew what my what my limitations were and so that that's kind of always kept us pretty small pretty adaptable pretty um we we always tried to stay light um, in the industry and respond as quickly as we could and mm-hmm. and then and then move on when when the mass production people decided that they wanted to go after the same kind of market niches, yeah, you don't um, seem you don't seem to chase trends, Sam. You don't use you, your boats. Uh, I mean, if they were to be a theme that runs through them, I would say you know they're just they're yachty yachts or boat. You know, they they're just really they just seem to uh, they come from your mind. You can see that, but they don't really there's not a common theme and there's not you're not chasing something you're not chasing a production model you're just sort of they are what they are i would say yeah i think we i think really we've always kind of dealt with the square pegs that didn't fit the round holes (laughs) um and our customer base is always uh, i mean they're a, a very unique group of people um I mean, they have to be, or they would never have played with me. Um, and it, and if I look at the cars that they drive and the houses that they have and the jobs that they've had, and it's really fascinating to me how these are, these are really, uh, I'm hesitant to put the word on it, oddballs, but they're, but they're, they, they're, uh, it's better expression. They're the square pegs that didn't fit the round holes. Did they, the did the ascent the eccentrics right? <laughs> Not the weird. Well, a little, a little, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and they, it never was as attractive to them to go and buy an off-shelf kind of item. Yeah. When when they could go through this more, much more complex, maybe even more agonizing process of of feeling like they're part of of that creation. Um, now I also want to make another statement though. Sure. One of one of our stated goals is that the customer feels that they're as much a part of this creative process as we are. So, in other words, I'm I'm not. If someone comes in and you want a, you know, this perfect idea that you have in your head of a great circle loop boat, um, I don't want to just take over and say, well, this is what you need, and this is what you're going to get, and this is this this fits you i i have no interest in that i i actually want to hear what they're talking about hear what try to interpret what's between their two ears um and i want them to realize their dream and i want them to feel that they're as much a part of that creation process as i am now i'm certainly important in that they're really more important because they're the catalyst for it. How did once you send these boats off into the blue abyss and there's some people have done some cruising on them, uh, 
do you get feedback from the customers and how does that feedback uh, inspire, you know, future designs? We, we get feedback. Um, I, I would say, to be honest, it seems to me that my customers are pretty, they're pretty careful about criticism. Um, I don't, I don't get a lot of negative feedback. Uh, and that's, that's always been a little bit interesting to me. Um, but that, that may be partly just because they do feel like they're part of that creation process Mm -hmm. and that if they're, if they complain about me or about the product, you know, if if the boat, if the boat doesn't live up to their expectations, they're as much responsible for that as I am. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, so now, but having said that, we're constantly, constantly changing and trying to evolve. And, and I never view that a single design is ever perfect. There's always the chance to make it a little more efficient or a little more aesthetic or a little, little, you know, fit, fit someone's needs a little bit better. Um, and that's a distinct difference that I would have than, you know, from, your normal Joe that, that has the, the semi or the production boatyard. But I don't, I don't want to overstate that, Jeff. It's what that means is it means I never had the fascination for, um, for doing the same thing forever and evolving it down to this incredibly high level, each, each one all on its own, but always the same. Mm-hmm. For me, part of my fascination was a little bit of this capability of jumping around um, that I could that I could do a forty five foot boat one year and and, and the next season I, I might I might be doing little little seventeen foot boats or or twenty foot boats. You know, I I, I kind of like dancing around. My my wife would just say that I'm pretty simple in my head so uh that and that might be the problem um maybe or or that or that i like clutter in my head so you know call let's call it a restless let's call it a restless mind and a a curious mind yeah perhaps how's that yep um so before we uh trying to catch up to you last few weeks you were telling me that you were revising your book you want to uh tell me about that real quick you're doing a revised edition of uh is it devlin boat building yeah so we we wrote a book on uh, that that was printed by uh, published by McGraw Hill um, called Devlin's Boat Building and it's been out I think twenty seven years now um, been in print the whole time um, marine titles you know they're not giant sellers so it's never been on the in any bestseller list from that point of view but it has been a bestseller amongst marine titles. Um, but it's outdated and my technology has improved. Um, certainly my design skills and uh, have, have improved and changed. And so I've been interested in trying to bring that more up to date and more current concurrent with, with what we're doing now. We're still doing very close to the same thing, but Mm -hmm. with, but with some refinements always. And so I've, we've done a complete rewrite of that book. McGraw-Hill is, 
it's all in the can now and it's supposed to be out this next spring. Oh, that's great. That's great news. Our readers will be really interested in that. Uh, so in that vein, what technology and trends are you seeing that, you know, are you thinking are going to change the way we build boats now? I mean, I know you did a solar power boat and you've talked about lithium ion battery power. Uh, what are you most excited about? Well, I don't know what I'm most excited about. We've, we've done several solar electric projects mm-hmm. now, um, and those have certainly been interesting. I think that I, I, I think that the market is going to go there a little bit, but there's the world is very, very interesting right now in that um, there's just changes happening and, and it, you know, we all know this. It's changes happening, and it's happening faster and faster. Um, like, for instance, I read a press release the other day that that Puget Sound is um, doing an experiment of a low wake um, experiment where boats, ships, and, and boats have to reduce their speeds, and it's to protect marine mammals and the shorelines. And that they're going to do a trial period for a couple of months. Um, you know, we don't know where things are going to go. Um, I so I I also saw a press release. Mercury has a new V10 that's yeah. coming out with a drop yesterday. And that's right. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like we've got on one side of the market or one side of the world. We we're trying to reduce wakes and and protect our shorelines and our our marine mammals and whatever else. And on the other side, we we're, we're dealing with, uh, and I'm hesitant to say this, but abhorrent abuse of horsepower. Um, it's, it, you know, it's like, it, it's very, very interesting. So hard to say where the markets are, are going. Um, what we do know from COVID is that boating is really the last bastion of free travel. It's un, unrestricted travel. I mean, let's just be blunt about that. There, you know, short of uh, when Canada closed their border, that was a restriction. But still, amongst you know, I live in the Northwest, so amongst Puget Sound and and uh, in this region, you know, no one can stop you from anchoring off of any beach. You could you can go and anchor in front of Bill Gates' house if you want to, Um, and. You know that it's free travel there, and it's also distance travel. So it's I, I'm heartened by the resurgence that that's bringing into boating. I think that boating is certainly going to evolve. The dilemma that we have is that there's tons and tons and tons of used boats, and we have no euthanasia program amongst boats. Yeah, the cradle, so, the cradle, the cradle you know, problem is is an issue. Yeah, boat, boats aren't taken out of the market when they become obsolete. Um, and that, that's an unfortunate problem that we have in, in this industry. And that's, that's going to be self-restricting on new products coming out. But there's mm-hmm. always kind of, as long as, as we don't have a real catastrophe financially, there's always going to be some people who are going to be interested in, in, uh, in, in new projects and new boats. And, and so... Um, it's, it's really hard to, to say where it's going to go in my own personal design work. 
uh, right now we're we're working on a couple of different um, uh, houseboat kind of projects. Um, one's a low low power project, the other's a semi displacement project. So part of that customer base wants to go semi fast. The other part wants to go really slow and put a bunch of solar panels on the roof. And you know, it's really a solar electric project, but but they're sizable boats for a short footprint. So um, mm-hmm. you know, basically, um, they're basically almost shanty boats taken into a little bit more sophistication um, houseboats. So I've got a couple of those going on. We've got. Um, uh, what else have I got going on? I've got a couple of different catamaran designs that are going on right now. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I never never viewed myself as the quintessential multi-hole designer, but um, but the, this low power thing really speaks to multi-holes. Um, they're pretty easily driven, and so I've got a couple of different projects going there. Um, we've got, uh, several different, uh, there's three different little fishing boat designs. Um, and then I've got two little day cruiser type designs in the mid 20 foot range that we're working on. Uh, one's, one's more of a, uh, cabin model and the other, the other's really more of a picnic boat model. Sounds like you're busier than ever, Sam. I'm, I'm busy. Yeah. So, um, no, no complaints. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling creative, which is good. Um, but I don't, I don't automatically assume that that's always going to be there. That's, you know, that there could be a day I come out and there's nothing in the can. Mm -hmm. Um, but so far it's hanging in and I'm uh, very happy with, with what's, with what we're doing, um, we've slowed our shop down and not doing very much or hardly any new construction right now. We are dealing with some, uh, just some repaints and some maintenance on our old, on the boats that we've already built mm-hmm. fleet. And, uh, and I'm, and I'm happy with that. It's restricted the number of people that, that I have around the HR side of the business these days is, way less than fun and so i'm trying to mitigate that and just minimize it as much as i can and and stay focused on on my stuff which is more the you know being creative with the new designs yeah being creative um so you know one last question before i let you go sam and i appreciate your time today uh i'm going to ask you about the pacific northwest and the puget sound area you've had a business there since 1978. You grew up there. You cruised there. What's so special about that area? And is there a favorite place that you you like to go? And the final part of this question is, um, is there somewhere you haven't been that you're really dying to get to in that area? Well, there's lots of places I haven't been. <laughs> um, the, the, the thing that's so unique about the Northwest is that I can literally go a thousand miles from the dock that I keep my boat at up to Skagway, Alaska. And in that whole thousand miles, it's like 973 miles. Um, In that distance, 
there's only two places where I'm exposed to the open ocean. And each of those is only about 45 miles across. So uh, what I've done is I live in this area where you, it, it, it's, it, you can always find some shelter. And all, and for the most part, once you get up above the people, and that's, you know, not even halfway up Vancouver Island, mm-hmm. if, if you know your, your geography, um, there, there really aren't major cities. There's not, not lots of people. There's fewer people on that stretch than there's been for, for millennia. And it's really amazing wilderness. It, it's beautiful. You've got mountains that come down into the water. You've got, I mean, it, it is amazing. There's lots of wildlife to look at, um, lots of natural beauty to look at, um, the, the awesome um, uh, grandeur of nature is, is there. And, boy, you just never get tired of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's why we live here, and that's, that's my love of, of this area and why I've, I've always kept my focus as much as I can on trying to help evolve boats that work in this area. Um, and that's, you really can't, from a geographical point of view, the only other parallel that I would say that might be close to that, and I've not boated down there, would be maybe the Chilean fjords mm. in South America on the west side. But you know, it's just this, this inside passage thing is just so fascinating. Um, so what that speaks to is you can, you can deal with the boater that loves solitude and loves the grandeur of nature and, and wildlife. But you can also, if you stay down in the southern areas of it, you can, you can deal with a boater that basically likes to go from dock to dock and walk around quaint little towns and villages and, you know, eat in pubs and things like that. So it, it sort of addresses many, many uh, different parts of what a boater might be looking for in, in, their, in their boating life. And uh, it's, just, it's just remarkably amazing, this area that we live in. Well, I know you'll keep enjoying it, and um, I'll be seeing you up there next spring when I come up for our annual visit, and I hope this, hope that we can catch up. And uh, thanks again for your time today, Sam. Safe travels. Talk to you soon. You bet. Thank you for listening to Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, a long-range cruising authority. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and go ahead and click that five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. And if you're not a subscriber to Passage Maker, it's easier than ever to get our magazine delivered to wherever you lay your head. Just go to passagemaker.com slash subscribe. This episode of Trawler Talk features post-production from Nate Gruca at Active Interest Media. For Passage Maker Magazine, this is Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, fair winds and safe travels.